A special education teacher, an administrator, and a lawyer walk into a bar. And our conversations can get pretty lively. And now, you'll join us while we talk all about special education and the public school system. I'm Robin Fabiano, a special education teacher and a building-based student services administrator. And I'm joined by Abby Hanscom, a district-level student services administrator, and Angela Smagula, a founding partner at Con and Smagula, specializing in educational law. We've been working together across multiple districts since 2009 and have lots of opinions about special education. In this podcast, we hope to share information, lessons learned, interviews of VIPs, and bring some humor to an otherwise serious topic. But before we get started, three disclaimers. One, the views shared on this podcast are our own and don't represent the views of the district in which we work. Two, Everyone might want Khan and Smagula as their attorneys, but Angela is not giving legal advice during this podcast. Three, although there are federal laws governing special education, we work in Massachusetts, a state that has extra protections, so some of what we speak about may not apply in your state. So let's get started. Hi, Angela. Hi, Abby. Hi, Robin. Hi, Angela. Hi, Abby. Hi, Robin. So tonight we are going to address um, how to speak with children around difficult topics. And obviously this is timely because of the situation that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. And while we want to avoid the politics of the topic, we certainly feel that there are some resources that we can share. Um, not only we're going to address in our discussion, but also put in the show notes that will give specific tips to teachers on how to speak with students specifically about the situation between Ukraine and Russia. But in general, it can be used to speak about just difficult topics that are going on in current events, and then how to adjust those conversations for students with disabilities. So we'll start there and then see where the conversation takes us. That's a great place to start. And I want to acknowledge that uh, nobody on this podcast is a expert on Ukrainian Russian political history. So the larger vantage point is that teachers often are the people that kids bring questions to about current events and larger political um, developments. And it is a a challenging part of our jobs is to support kids in figuring out what to make of the world that they're living in. And I think uh, it certainly for teachers currently, we've been very lucky in our district. We've had a lot of resources floating around and shared by other colleagues and shared by other um, organizations. And we actually put out a a short list to parents of uh, highly reputable research informed uh, organizations that had done some thinking about not only the content of this topic, but also a bigger picture of talking to kids about challenging um, content and uh, then put that out by developmental level. Right? What you might say to a younger kid is different than you'd say to a high school kid, which is different than you might say to a middle school student. Um, and so I think it's useful to maybe jump in and just talk a little bit about some of those big ideas because we may want to um, articulate more about them as it relates particularly to kids with disabilities, because sometimes those types of resources aren't geared towards kids who have um, other issues, maybe with processing or other needs that inform how they take in information that's hard to hear. So, I mean, that could be a fourth bucket, right? You're saying how we deliver to elementary versus middle versus high versus 
kids with special needs, depending on their age and or their disability. And sometimes when districts do send out these leveled um, resources, I find at the high school level, we miss out on hearing the resources from the elementary level when perhaps we have students at the developmental level of an elementary student who really could benefit from that. So I appreciated seeing all of the resources and being able to then disseminate what I thought was developmentally appropriate um, across to the different students we have in the building. Well, that's great to hear. And that's a good reminder that we should continue to think about the school district as a bigger organization where people are are taking and applying things to kids uh, from all the different levels, right, in terms of what they need. Um, So why don't we jump in? And one of the first resources that we um, found that we thought was a really good match that we shared with colleagues in our district certainly was the PBS um, website. And they had their, their first list and their first list item was pull out a map. And we I, talked about that. I did that. In the office. Yeah, so I did that with my son. Yep. I thought it was great because he had heard snippets of what was going on, not only in our conversations, but also from the news. And we pulled out his globe that he has in his room. And we discussed where in the world are we talking about? Because one of his questions was, is war coming here? Yeah. And we yep. talked about you know, how far away it is. But we also talked about the proximity between Ukraine and Russia and why they're fighting over the border. Um, but I thought that was just a great um, tip. And I didn't even think of that. Yeah, we take it for granted. I had this like image in my mind yesterday morning. Um, we were in central office talking about what we we're going to send out to the district of like this unrolling sound. I don't know if you guys had those rolling maps over like the chalkboard tray in your elementary school. And there'd be like three of them. One would be like, the United States. One would be like, Europe. One would be the whole world. And I that, remember that sound. And sometimes you'd pull it like a window shade and it would like, go back up. I was like, those things are getting dusted off across the whole country. And I can hear that sound this morning, like everywhere. Yeah. Go look it up and make it visual for kids. That's like a accommodation. Yeah. I love that. And I, um, the second tip on there was talk about some reasons why wars start. And mm-hmm. if you put it developmentally inappropriate, their example is to talk about when children fight over things that are theirs and like a concept of this is mine and I want it for me. Yeah. And every classroom teacher mitigates and manages all kinds of um, disputes and conflicts between kids all the time. And we're always trying through SEL to train kids to get better at doing that for themselves. And this is kind of like writ large, some of those same issues that they're very familiar with and very experienced in thinking about. The last couple of tips, and I'm just going to extrapolate from what is written in these articles because the listeners out there can read them themselves. But I think there's a lot of new vocabulary for students that they're hearing for the first time. So sanctions, dictatorship, refugees, and it's important to define what those are in general and give lots of examples of ways that that people experience that throughout the world, not just in this context, but make it a little bit broader. There's lots of pieces to it so that it can be really overwhelming to try and process the whole concept of a war um, because wars either don't happen here, you know, or they're historical. So it's hard to navigate that, even though there's wars going on all the time, like the Russian Ukraine war is not the only war that's happened in the last 10 years, but I, there's enough happening in a big umbrella of war that you can also focus on the pieces that are interesting to the student 
or have relevance to the students. So the sanction piece alone is is pretty interesting and can be really watered down so that people can understand it from the most sort of base perspective of like opportunities that you lose when you do things that are not um, nice, right? There's ways to make it super simple or to make it more complicated. And also there's a ton of books, um, age-appropriate books about refugees throughout um, older elementary and middle school t- so I think that's a good way to talk about that too. And then, of course, there's the intersection of race, right? We've been hearing a lot about um, Black people in the Ukraine not getting treated the same way. We've been hearing a lot about um, Western news organizations talking about seeing white people struggle and making that seem something special or different when you know there's people out there that are fighting and in wars and in countries that are not white that happen all the time. And suddenly it's more important because the people that are suffering are white. So there's lots of interesting components to sort of access from a regular ed perspective, but also um, from a special ed perspective in terms of what people's interests are. Absolutely. And kids are really, really familiar with rules and breaking rules. And they're familiar in school with token economies and all kinds of other kind of um, connections that we could easily make. There's a point that falls across all of the articles, which talks about focusing on ways people can help because oftentimes students feel um, removed from the situation and want to get involved in the healing and helping of what's going on. Or students are saying, I wish I could help. What can I do? And across all of the articles, they encourage teachers to support students in ways that they could help to support um, people who are being displaced or need support. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that big idea of global citizenship is often in school district mission statements and in other big documents. And this is an interesting uh, moment where kids may have an ability to really make a connection to like what that means for them at this juncture, right, in terms of helping or supporting other people. Um, another important resource that we um, will post up in the in the uh, pod notes is that New York Times had a lot of helpful hints for parents. And I think some of those um, advice pieces apply to teachers too, you know, and their number one thing, which always cracks me up because I am guilty of not doing this, is um, take your cues from the kid. Don't overshare, anxious adult, if um, your kid isn't asking a ton about this and don't uh, withhold information if your kid is asking, right? And if a person asks you a factual question, answer them with facts. And those are all the things we've learned over the years from our escalation trainings and stuff, but it applies in this moment to talking about something that maybe is um, challenging or uncomfortable to, to discuss with kids. And I thought that was great advice. How do districts... Um decide which topics to disseminate these type of information to parents. So as Angela said, they're ongoing worse and crises. And um, this is not something new that's been happening. Um, Although perhaps the United States involvement at this level seems new and different, but I'm just so curious why this particular situation, how does that drive communication to families? Well, I can share what happened this week in the office if it's if it's interesting just to think about. And we're in the greater Boston area, so that's an important lens. But uh, so on Monday, we all came in and um, were 
making sense of information that had come in over the weekend about the the situation in Ukraine. And we didn't put out a statement or do anything on Monday at all. And what started to happen, and we talked about that Monday morning, we have like a, a leadership meeting on Monday morning. The end of, By the end of the school day on Monday, we had principals calling to central office saying, I'd like to put out a statement from my school, or I'd like to say something, or are we going to say something at a, as an elementary set of schools? Or what about at the high school where we teach AP US history, we teach global civics, right? And so we were hearing from administrators that they needed some direction. So everybody thought about that. And then we met Tuesday morning and actually had a dialogue amongst all the administrators in the district to say, what would you want to put out? Would we want to put out the same thing for all the schools or not? And we ended up deciding to not. We picked the same common resources that are some of the ones we're sharing here. But then each of the levels, elementary, middle, and high, wrote their own statement that was developmentally appropriate. So we're um, addressing this in every single like history class in our high school, in our eighth grade, where we have world history, but not seventh or sixth, and not directly at elementary. But it, we coordinated that message, and then that went out to every family in the district Tuesday evening. I would just share also that Russian is one of our three primary languages. Um, so from an ELL perspective, um, that's an important consideration is that we have a number of families for whom this is a very, very, very relevant topic. And I think that brings us to the next topic around bullying. We were all concerned for our students, both Russian students and students and staff who have connections to the Ukraine. How would they feel being in school if someone were to address this topic? We them? heard from parents yeah. uh, Tuesday and, and then today that kids who maybe had a Russian last name, their, their friends were asking them like, what's going on? What's that about? And they didn't experience it yet as bullying, but they experienced it as uncomfortable questioning where they were like being asked to kind of comment on behalf of their ethnic group. And that directly links to some of the the pieces I think we want to talk about related to bullying. Well, it's interesting you say that, Abby, because um, one of the protected classes in Massachusetts is uh, national origin. So it's race, ethnicity, and national origin. And national origin is often the the long forgotten um, part of that. There was a case recently, I think at the MCAD where someone was from like Romania and was being made fun of in her workplace for her accent. So you could see how that can quickly spin um, for the employees in our school buildings and also for students with regard to um, being treated differently because of their national origin. So um, by anybody. Um, by people within the same national origin or close enough if it's the breakup of the Soviet Union. Right? So that's a real thing. And it's a real cause of action. And it's a part of the protected class. And I think we'll see some of that rearing its head either framed up as potentially as bullying and perhaps falling in one of those more vulnerable categories. Um, and also just generally harassment um, based on where you're people think you're from or you are from. That's a really good point. And I do think it's that uh, perception of you don't actually have to be in the category, but if you're the person who's bothering you perceives you to be in that category for some odd reason of their own misunderstanding, it still has to be treated very seriously. And we did have a parent this morning actually write in and say, I'm very concerned that my children, just because of our last name, will be targeted um, in this situation. 
And what are you going to do to, to make sure my kid is safe at school? Um, and also you know, I'm talking about Massachusetts specifically because we're in Massachusetts, but obviously there's federal protection against national origin. So uh, even if a sp- specific state doesn't have it as a, one of their protected classes in their state statute, there's a federal um, statute that that speaks to protection of national origin discrimination. So in case anyone's interested in that. I'm also wondering about students with special needs who either act out provocatively or seek out negative attention and um, have, have experience that this is a touchy subject and then we'll use that a way to seek attention. Um, and we have some students like that in our district that I have been thinking about and trying to make sure that we're not only protecting them, but we're making sure that we're buffering them from potentially socially stigmatizing situations of saying something that's pretty offensive to someone else um, to get a reaction from staff or try to um, initiate some sort of communication intent, but doing it in a negative way. Um, And I have a feeling that there are probably people across the country who are thinking about those type of students right now too. I have been thinking about that a lot because to me, the responsibility of the school district really is to um, alert teachers to the fact that we might be at a in a moment where, where for some kids who are more vulnerable, the information they're receiving from social media, uh, from the news, from their from their home, from their family, and from us, frankly, in school, may be escalating them in ways that um, two days ago, three days ago, wasn't happening. And so, I think to be aware that that's uh, more likely, and then to think about your behavior support plans and to think about some of your um, antecedent management skills that might need to be um, expanded or changed or morphed in some way specific to this topic um, just for a short period of time to um, allow the student enough time to get that information. I'll give you an example. We have a a teacher who is somewhat um, experienced in um, Russian history, and he offered a stay after school for um, anybody who's interested at the high school to learn about um, Ukrainian-Russian history. And we had a room full of kids and they were super interested. And so we're going to offer it again for the teachers and we're going to tape it and offer it to the community on the theory to exactly what we're talking about, Robin, that if the adults have more information, we're going to be more able to um, identify possible trigger points and vulnerability moments for kids. And what we found, of course, was that um the kids had great questions and he couldn't get through his slide deck because they kept interrupting him with such thoughtful questions that he just wanted to talk to the kids all the time. So there was a great demand for that information. I think sometimes with these provocative kids, the instinct is to just put some sort of behavior plan in place that shuts them up. And I actually think that the more information and instruction you can give them, the, the, easier it is then to change the topic because they have a context to refer to and using some of these resources to do some instruction around what's going on is really helpful rather than just stopping the communication in general. That is one confusing. It doesn't provide context or learning or instruction. And then the child is just sort of left like, oh my God, I can't talk about it, but I really want to. And it almost increases the desire to blurt something out that's inappropriate. 
And anytime you make something a taboo or you signal that it's a taboo, you've increased its seductiveness as like its potency, right? Basically. Um, and so that's the the truth of that. And so the reality is it's it's thinking about how to appropriately educate kids and, and contextualize this information so it doesn't have that power in the same way. And that kids can use the skills they do have to, um, you know, manage themselves and be kind to other kids. And then you can hold kids accountable, right? Because then you say, I've covered this and this is what we need to do. And please stop doing that. And that's, that's totally how we will get through all of these kind of things. I managing kids, social media is another just big idea, not only for teachers. And um, sometimes we've had experiences where teachers are worried or anxious and they're checking their own social media and they're wondering about the news and they are talking about the news with their colleagues in front of kids. And this is maybe one of those contexts where you have to be really thoughtful about doing that because the kids are listening. It did feel very strange on Monday. I went all day without checking um, Twitter. And that's really my news source during the day. And we were on vacation last week. And so I was really getting a lot of news all the time. And I went all day and I got in my car and thought, oh, my God, six hours, seven hours have passed. I, I must have missed so much. I think um, the social media point is a good one because a lot of kids across the board, that's how they're getting their news is from social media. And I don't even mean Twitter, which is like just social media access to real news. I mean, Instagram posts with a dog that looks like Putin, right? So like teachers have to be ready to help navigate those pieces because then that's sort of a lot of misinformation. Right? So when we refer back to the section of the NPR article that said like pull out a map, the first thing that I thought of was on my social media feeds was map that was showing um, all the ways that uh, the Ukraine was being attacked by Russia, like all the different component parts. And then another map saying where Russia was and saying, not Russia, not Russia, not Russia, not Russia. So it's a, not a real map, right? sort of a conglomeration and a viewpoint of what's happening, but it's confusing, right? If, if you don't know where the Ukraine is to begin with. So I just think it's it's a really important point that I'm wondering if that professor who's doing those that piece for everybody is addressing because like he's actually the expert. That's right. so great right. that that's happening. We're very lucky. Of, yeah, we're yeah. lucky to have that. And the other interesting piece we, we just want to acknowledge is that this um, particular conflict has a whole entire... Um, thread through it, a very purposeful social media warfare happening purposefully from both sides. And so that people are consuming content that's been particularly constructed pro or con these issues. And our kids are, are consuming that. So my high school kids come home every day and they're like, have you seen this? And I'm like, no, I don't look at my phone because I'm working all day. And they're like, <laughs> do you know about this? And they have consumed media from particular places with a vantage point, right? And so well, it's I think propaganda and advertising. It totally is. And they're smart kids, but they're still totally um, receiving that information like raw. It's just coming right at them. And maybe that's our last piece of good advice, which is this whole idea of um, not putting your lens on things, but asking kids open-ended questions, right? And asking kids, like, why do you think that's important? And what do you wonder about that? And what would you think we should do to help them make sense of it for themselves? 
Um, and objective questions, particularly for middle and high school kids are really important, right? Like what are the options in this situation? Uh, what potential tools could be brought to bear to try to solve this problem? You know, what should our priorities be? What are the costs that we would be willing to pay? Those kind of questions are really big dinner table, thoughtful questions that um, take something out of this little soundbite context and give kids life skills. That's like the the choice making and categorizing, prioritizing stuff that kids end up needing. So I think there's a lot in this topic and it's never a dull moment, you guys. We just, just finished pandemic mania and here we are talking about warfare. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's tough. So we hope that you find the resources in the show notes helpful. And we're happy to take questions and comments via email if you need us to unpack these things a little bit further. But I think this is a good place to end. And um, Abby and Angela, I hope you have a great rest of the week. And listeners, thanks always for joining us. And uh, we will be back um, next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. If you have any questions, you can reach us at astalpodcast at gmail.com.